Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of a junior VC behind the scenes. On this week's episode, I have with me Varun, Raj, and Chandra, uh, and and we we will talk about a junior VC's piece: Can Dehat plant the seeds for India's agricultural uh, revolution? So to get us started, uh, Raj, can you tell us? a little bit about why we chose to write about dehat this week for sure so it's really interesting um why we chose dehat on on uh, multiple fronts uh, we have noticed that uh, agriculture in india even though it's uh, something which keeps us alive because of the food that it puts on our plates uh, not many founders have been um, very interested in disrupting the sector um quite until you know 2012 um, so there is an interesting story uh, and that essentially picked up a lot of investor interest very lately so something that's very topical uh, and they had picking up a round of 115 million series d uh, last year really super exciting uh, we really wanted to cover it for quite some time but eventually we got uh, to do it this this weekend uh, number two uh, being quite quite some time when we actually covered agri-tech as a sector. And thirdly, uh, uh, right now there is a very interesting piece of disruption that could be uh, possible in the agri-tech sector and it looks uh, nearer to us than further. So that's why we decided to cover the heart. And it certainly is an interesting story. Can you uh, tell us how they got started. What was uh, Dehat's founding story, Raj? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so imagine uh, a situation where in 2008, um, a boy from IIT Delhi uh, steps into the corporate world, uh, back in 2008, getting into IITs and graduating from IITs, getting into a top corporate job is something which was a dream of uh, thousands, if not lakhs of Indian students. Uh, once you get in there, you have a successful career, uh, you work with big corporations in your consulting capacity, uh, and then you would eventually want to sort of either climb up the corporate ladder or shift to US. But then there is this interesting story about Shashank, who chooses to relocate to uh, a very small rural village in Bihar called Vaishali. So what happened? For Shashank, uh, he had his roots um, in farming. His family uh, belonged to sort of farmers and um, he knew a bit, like he was not totally agnostic of the impact agriculture had on livelihoods of his family. And of course, uh, by continuation on every family in the country. Number two. Personal problem for him. It was something that he had. Yeah. The, the first reason why he relocated, of course, it was a personal problem. The second thing is that his experiences in the three, three and a half years of his corporate career was in the other end of the entire uh, supply, uh, the other end of this sort of industry where you have supply chains, uh, you have retail, uh, you have those connecting the downstream processes. And number three, in 2010s, essentially that was the time when startups actually started to become mainstream with Flipkart, Jabong experiencing uh, successes and then uh, Rashmi Bansal's book uh, Stay Foolish, Stay Hungry was in bookshelves all around and uh, people started giving it a thought and Shashank realizes that this is something which he can actually devote his entire life to. So he wanted to start up, he wanted to be an entrepreneur but he didn't know how. So the first two dots essentially connected themselves and Shashank realized that you know what why don't I pick up agriculture. 
uh, contributes 350 billion to India's GDP, which is a good 14-15%, employs 140 million plus farmers. So let's sort of you know, get this sector disrupted. Um, and eventually uh, that was the idea behind him relocating to a small village in Bihar, because unless you are in ground zero, you don't really understand the problem that you're trying to solve. So that was the founding story. Um, and and exciting things happened with that. It's a perfect combination in, in the, the, the founder who has a problem that he has a personal connection to and, and a strong passion to, to do something, to build a business. And let's kind of dive into a bit more about what problem they were solving. What was the pain point that he identified and how is he going about tackling it? Hey, one second, I missed you. Would you just um, give it once again? Sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll do it again. You can, you can edit yeah. it. Um, no worries. Uh, so, so I wanted to dive a bit into the the problem that he was solving. What was the pain point that he identified and how was he going about tackling it? Right. Um, so the pain point that Shashank and his team had identified is that uh, the entire farmer's cultivation life cycle, right from procurement of seeds till, let's say, uh, post-harvest sales, has got multiple problems plaguing it. Um, these problems, while they are at scale, the individual which whom these problems affected were very fragmented to take a collective actions. There needed to be sort of an aggregation, a scale at which these problems could be catered to. But then, of course, uh, taking a step back, uh, trying to understand how the journey of Dehat's team looked like, uh, once relocated to ground zero for the first two years, they essentially had no business model. They had no idea how to generate revenues. They had no idea how to even raise uh, funding um, and what problem essentially they would solve. So essentially going from a consulting viewpoint, you would really want to pick up the low hanging fruits first. And for them, the low hanging fruit was that, why don't we uh, source directly from the farmers, sell to big retail players like Cargill, Godrej, and you know eventually Zomato and Grofers. But then, the two years that they had spent talking incessantly to farmers, learning about their problems, training them, uh, getting to know the entire life cycle of each and every crop ground up, they realized that why don't we offer a full stack solution and ensure that right from seeds procurement, fertilizers procurement, offering working capital to the farmers, offering them access to better markets at better prices, helping them through the sowing season, uh, the cultivate through the cultivation season uh, helping them customize their crops according to the soil type that they have on their land and eventually helping them with post harvest sales uh, getting them good prices as well as ensuring that the cycle repeats this entire full stack solutioning can be provided by the heart and that's how uh, they realize that the problem that they're solving essentially is now no longer the post harvest season but essentially the entire crop harvesting season the, the crop cultivation season so it's almost like a two-year discovery process of just kind of figuring yep. out what problem they're solving uh which is just just amazing and and so now um chandra maybe you can help us understand a bit more about how they got that early traction and and found product market fit um, sure thanks Mazin. and it's a really interesting story you know like any startup um, it's not always a linear path where you identify a solution and then suddenly find product market fit. Right? You go through the learnings that you find. And, you know, Dehat's a great example of that. 
So, so let's just start with the farmers, right? Imagine you're a farmer in a village. You've been doing, you've been farming the way you've been taught. Your parents have been taught. Your grandparents have been taught for like hundreds of years, right? And suddenly, a 26 or 27 year old kid comes in and he tells you, you know what? Here's how you change your way of cultivation, and you're reluctant to do that, right? You've been doing that your entire lives. Yep. So basically, the stakeholders they had was working with they were resistant to change, right? So and that became the challenge. How do you convince the farmers to adopt new practices, and how do you ad- convince them to adopt new inputs, right? And uh, so farmers thought, you know, these guys don't really have skin in the game. It's just an adventure for them. Once things get tough, they're going to disappear. So, so how did they solve that, right? And that's a really and how they did that was really interesting. The first was technology. So technology would give a way to scale this model, mm-hmm. but smartphone penetration is low in rural India, and the medium of communication had to be the vernacular or local language, right? Yeah. So, uh, so you run into this interesting technological challenge that how do you pro- provide low data consumption web access in multiple access in multiple languages? <laughs> And it's any and this is kind yeah. of technical challenge. It's not yeah. you think about them them solving. I mean, it's it's a very different uh, challenge. It's more uh, kind of bridging that communication gap rather than exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's a huge challenge. And like any budding entrepreneur, you look at this challenge, you're like, oh my god, where is any over? <laughs> and yeah. finally, you've got the logistics infrastructure, right? So if you're going to be giving the distributing the inputs like seeds and fertilizer and collecting the outputs like the harvest, you need a lot of capital investment to get the logistics in place. And you know most uh, you know most startups they're like low assets. You know like a WeWork and Uber, you could just you could just like start it in your garage, right? But instead here you have these high upfront costs that you need to bring this idea to reality. So like the chips were kind of stacked against Dehat, and you know. But they were like super motivated, and you know, because it was such a big challenge, they were able to kind of rally themselves and solve it. And how did they do that? So they realized they had to demonstrate tangible improvements in the life of farmers. So instead of uh, you know going on a top-down me- method, they decided, you know what? There's one farmer in this village. I'm going to focus my resources on winning over and working with that one farmer. And so once that person gets results. You've got a lo- you've got like this loyal spokesperson or micro entrepreneur who become a cheerleader in the surrounding village radius, right? This is because when villagers hear stories from one of their own, uh, they'd be more likely to try it versus being approached by a slick urban salesperson. So this was a game changer, all right? This micro entrepreneur model, they were able to deliver the agricultural services to farmers in a last mile way. And one more thing they did was something you wouldn't really associate with the tech company. They set up phone helplines so that they could engage with farmers in the language that they used to. So they basically solved the logistics barrier by enabling these micro entrepreneurs to act as a bridge between the platform and the farmers. So let's give an example of a day in the life of how this would work, right? So Dehat buys high volume agricultural inputs. Let's say thousands of kilos of fertilizers or seeds directly from the manufacturer. They store it in a warehouse that's operated by Dehat, and that's the hub. Then you've got a spoke where Dehat transports these inputs. To the micro entrepreneurs who take care of last mile delivery, so that's one. So that's the first way of getting the inputs to farmers. And once the farmers create the produce, they bring it to the micro entrepreneur, and Dehat collects it to their uh, and brings it to their hub or warehouse, where they aggregate it and stock it and sell it to institutional buyers. So uh, and so it's a genius model that kind of came bottom up and organically from the challenges and context on the ground that they faced. It's it really is fascinating. I mean, it's it's almost like a like an influencer sort of model, but exactly. 
it fitted perfectly to their specific environment. How do they make money though? What do unit economics look like, Kadihat? Okay, so um, so the thing is that the uh, so the unit econ- economics of something like this is very very interesting, right? So so let's just look at Dehat's finances right now. So right now they have they have one thousand three hundred centers. They serve three point six lakh farmers, right? And they're making up and they're making about a hundred odd crores. In revenue each month, like and but how are they doing this? So Shashank, who's the founder of Dehat, he says around seventy percent of the overall revenue comes from the sale of produce to big buyers, and thirty percent comes from the sale of agricultural inputs to farmers, and one percent comes from the financing services like loans, and they don't charge any money for advisory, right? So okay, so basically what they do is that they take a cut of every transaction inside the Dehat ecosystem. So this leads to some interesting uh, out- second order outcomes. So Dehat wants to ensure that the participants in the ecosystem, the micro entrepreneurs, the farmers, they transact and interact more and more with each other. As they benefit, Dehat benefits too. So those incentives are aligned, and this also creates a really virtuous cycle of network effects. So a farmer will join Dehat for access to buyers and inputs, but the micro entrepreneur will join for access to farmer customers, and the institutional buyer, which is where the money is. They'll join because they get streamlined access to bulk produce. So this is a three-sided marketplace, and it creates a virtuous cycle of growth and a lock-in effect. It really is. That's a fascinating model, and and a very uh, a unique model that they kind of built from the ground up, right? Really understanding the problem that they're solving, which is what makes it makes it so interesting. Um, thank you so much for that, uh, Chandra Varun. Can you? Can you expand a bit more on on their growth phase? You know, once they had this model in place, uh, how did they expand both sides of the marketplace and kind of uh, build on these network effects that Chandra was explaining? Yeah, you know, I think um, I think there was an entrepreneur once said that when you're creating a category, it takes usually uh, it takes longer than 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 not, right? And and it requires a great deal of patience. And I think the think the team showed a great deal of patience. Obviously, from 2012 onwards, um, like you've heard, um, they spend a lot of time understanding the problem, crafting the correct solution, um, and then through 1819, they experienced real growth. I think they closed 18 FY18 with about 21 crores revenue, or FY19 at 45, um, and both years being profitable, right? Um, <clears throat> and and this is when um, I think in, towards the end of FY19 was when they raised their first financing round, uh, which was a 4.3 million dollar round, uh, which which was led by Omnivore, right? Um, and as you can imagine, you know the business had been around a long time, was not in necessarily the sexiest of sectors, um, and hence you 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 needed somebody who understood the sector well to realize that that what was happening, um, and and it made sense for for Omnivore and Act and another agri tech fund from the US to come in and lead the round, right? I think that by this point, um, you you know there were a couple of things happening. Uh, while they had established the the offline model and it was clearly working, what that offline model was really helping do was build trust, right, uh, with the farmer, because you have to understand that this community is far more um, is far less tech savvy than what you may see uh, in urban India, um, and having that physical outpost in every um, corner of of the uh, of the regions where they were operating. Had built trust, and as they built trust, it created a flywheel for word of mouth as well, right? Because the farmers went and told their their farmer their their friends, and um, eventually <clears throat> it became a it became a hub of activity, right? Like you heard, the, the suppliers wanted to be there, the buyers wanted to be there, um, and and that's what basically helped real scale come through. Um, so they, by by March nineteen, I think they were at one hundred and 
26 um, uh, centers and the company hadn't raised money, right? They had raised very little money prior to the Series A. Uh, but since they've raised the Series A, they've pretty much been, been on a treadmill of raising money, right? Um, March 19 was the first round. Um, then towards uh, March 20, they raised their second round. Um, at which point they had about 450 centers. They were growing 3.5x year on year, Sequoia like that round. Um, and then uh, by March, uh, by, by January 21, there is a third round which saw Prozus come in. That was a $30 million round. Um, and, and then later that year, um, in October, there is a $115 million round. So as you can see, the, the time between rounds is actually uh, getting shorter and shorter. Um, and that's, that, that's uh, directly because of the, the growth that the company was experiencing. Uh, by the time they raised the process round, they had about 1,350 uh, offline centers. Um, and by the time they had raised the, the $115 million round, uh, they had close to 3,000 offline centers. Incredible. Uh, incredible. So, so now they're at... Uh, so where exactly are they today in terms of, of how they stand and uh, does the competitive landscape look like in India? Yeah, I think they're in a very interesting position today, right? I think um, one of the founders in an interview recently said they're in a position where they can launch 400 offline centers a month, right? Um, it's, it's basically become a cookie cutter model for them, right? They understand what needs to happen, how it needs to happen, and, and you just take the capital, go invest it. And it's a franchise model, right? So it doesn't even require a ton of capex. You actually um, make money when you start selling your franchisee. Um, and um, so so obviously, the, they, they can scale like crazy. Um, and across the length and the breadth of the country, they've actually also acquired another company called Helicrofter, uh, which was a B2B agri marketplace in Maharashtra. Uh, so far, they've been very strong in North India, specifically around the Bihar UP regions. Uh, but now with this acquisition, they'll be able to expand to Western and Southern India. At the time of the last fundraise, they were doing about 100 crores in, in monthly revenue um, and were expecting to close uh, FI22 uh, uh, at 1400 crores of revenue. Right. Um, and I think that was a big jump from about 352 they did the previous year. Um, so as you can see, the company is <clears throat> now, um, I think, is reaping the benefits of, of all the investments that they made in, in the initial years of when they were basically doing the unglamorous stuff of living in villages, talking to farmers, understanding the problem, so on and so forth. Um, they're also now in a position to tack on more and more services, right? Um, they already had advisory, crop advisory services and those sorts of things. Uh, they've recently recently launched financing, so access to credit. Uh, I think in very in the very quickly they had scaled um, up to about seventy five crores of uh, credit dispersed on their platform. Again, the beauty is now they've that they've established the platform. They don't actually they built the pipe, right? And what's yeah. flowing flowing through the pipe, they don't have to produce, um, and they just take a they take a take rate on it, right? So very asset light in that manner. And because it's um, they have these kind of network effects, you they keep kind of absolutely, yeah. And and um, and and this is where um, you know I, I think the the competition question is interesting, right? Um, uh, they they have uh, they operate across the value chain or supply chain for the for, from a farmer's perspective and an agriculture perspective, right? Yeah. Um, none of their competitor they do not have a competitor a like for like competitor who competes with them in in their way in their business model, right? Um, they have um, uh, they have specific uh, competitors across each part of their supply chain, right? So whether that's the input side, the marketplace side, um, and, and then on the financing side. Uh, which includes insurance as well, right? Uh, but per se, no, there's nobody who does exactly what they do. So it's interesting whether you think of those guys as collaborators um, or competitors. Um, some of them may actually want to collaborate with um, somebody like um, 
uh, Dehart because you know they get access to um, 650,000 farmers that the the, the platform has, that the business has on its platform today, right? Um, and and that's a huge uh, um, community that that many of these businesses may want to access. There are the traditional uh, uh, Indian enterprises, whether that's the Tatas, the Godrejes, or, or the ITCs that have established some sort of a similar business in that they have distribution centers from where they procure. Uh, but they are they are more focused on procuring for their own needs in terms of ITC, you know, needs the raw materials to support their FMCG business. Um, similarly, with Godrej, needs to support their other their FMCG business on the oils and uh, and other side. Um, so. I think uh, obviously compared to those guys, these guys will probably will move faster, be more nimble. Um, and again, I think there are. I think ITC has six thousand distribution points. These guys are already at three and a half thousand, right? Um, and um, so, uh, and they've done it in a very short period of time. Um, and um, with the with the capital that they now have available. Um, they should be able to scale really, really quickly going forward as well. Thanks so much for that. It definitely sounds like Dehat has has a bright future ahead of them, uh, and are very uniquely positioned. You know, they took the time to solve the problem from the ground up, and it's really paying dividends now. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode of our Junior VC uh, Behind the Scenes, and we'll see you again next week.